How's everybody? Love the weather? Isn't that great? Man, I was out yesterday afternoon too, and I liked it. I thought it was good. So, crazy me. Well, you, you've, uh, some of you have been here long enough. You know that I'm a bit of a fanatic about the Hubble telescope. In fact, somebody just told me after first service today that there's like a free download you can do, an app on an iPhone with, uh, so I can get the latest and greatest with the Hubble. So I'm going to do that as soon as I get home. Somebody will show me how to do it. But anyway, so I, I and, and here's the deal for me. Why I am so interested, fascinated with the Hubble. It's because every picture that comes back shows me again and again how God is amazing. The masterpiece he's created with this universe. And that's what we're talking about in this whole series, us being the masterpiece. But, you know, I just look out and, and every picture that comes back from Hubble shows us again in, like we never could have known before, the sheer uh, wonder, the brilliance and the power of God to create a universe like the one we're in. So I thought it'd be kind of fun to show you five pictures that we have. Well, first one is of the Hubble itself. I don't know if you've ever looked at it and seen, you know what? Did you know that this year it's 21 years old? Can you believe that? How quickly time goes. I remember when that thing first went out and just waiting to see and it's been going for 21 years now. And I thought it would be kind of fun. I'm just going to show you four pictures that have come back from the Hubble. This one is uh, got the title. It's called Stellar Nursery. A very appropriate title because you see the, the little uh, spokes that are coming out. Those are new stars that are being born out of that thing. And, and just to give you an idea of the scope and size of God's masterpiece, the universe, that is 9,000 light years away from Earth. 9,000 light years. One light year is equal to, does anybody know? Six trillion Miles, So that's 54 trillion miles away from Earth. Let, let's look at this one. Uh, uh, I want to see if you can guess the name of that one. It is, it's the same name <clears throat> as one of the paintings we looked at last Sunday. Okay? Astronomers gave it the same name because it's so, they thought it looked like that painting. <clears throat> ah, you know. Starry Night. Starry night. That's right. Starry night. Okay. Now, this next one I'm showing to you, this one right here, because of all my interest that I have shown through the years, these last 21 years in the Hubble, and scientists becoming aware of my interest, they named that one after me. Uh, it's called uh, Stevens Quintet. Okay. <clears throat> I actually know what it is. It's, it's um, evidently, it's a bunch of stars clashing together. It's just fascinating when you read about that. I think you, um, oh, by the way, um, uh, oh, that, no, it's the next one. Look, look at that. <clears throat> I bet you know the title of that one, right? And, and the thing about that one is that it is, uh, it's actually a dying star. Everything coming out of it. And the gas is coming out of that. When it, before it started dying, it was five times the mass of the sun. And just think of that. 
And what we're looking at right there, that is actually uh, two, two light years in, in, you know, in, in size across. So that's 12 trillion miles you're looking at of stuff. Is God amazing? Huh? Is God amazing? Look at that masterpiece that he's created. And it just keeps going on and on. I mean, the universe is something else. You know, I actually mentioned just briefly that whole deal last Sunday with the Hubble. And, and after that, Scott and Lisa Vilter um, came up and told me that, that, that the night before, they had been downtown by the uh, Bob Carey Bridge, and there were some astronomers out there with telescopes, and, and they were able to look into uh, that telescope, and, and um, they, they were just blown away by what, what they saw. And one of the things they said is kind of the same thing Beck and I thought, Several years ago when we were in New Zealand and with that fascinating experience of going on, uh, up on a mountain, I actually rode up on a bus with uh, people from all over the world, different countries, and got to the top. And it's one of like two places in the world um, where you, you're able to see the sky like you can't, you know, only, and I think the other one is in Japan. And I uh, remember we, we thought the same thing that Scott and Elisa said to me last week. It felt like you were looking like when you saw Saturn or Pluto, you felt like they had stuck it on the end of the telescope. It was that clear, you know, that, that kind of a deal. Just to be able to look and actually see it, just the detail of it. So why am I, why am I talking about this? Telescopes. It's, it's for this reason. In the same way that a telescope makes it possible, a telescope like the Hubble makes it possible for us to be able to look out and, and understand what a, an amazing masterpiece this universe is. Prayer, prayer is the telescope that God gives us that makes it possible for us to understand what, a, what a, an amazing masterpiece we are that God's created. And, and it also helps us to be able to understand the God who created us that, that much better, just being able to look at See ourselves, okay, through prayer. So this morning we're going to look at a prayer, and it's a prayer that we can pray for ourselves. It's a prayer that we can pray for one another, and, and, it's, and it's a prayer that's life-changing. It's, it's, it's life-changing because when God answers it, and the thing you and I can be assured is that God will answer this prayer if we pray it. When God answers it, what we learn about ourselves will give us a whole new perspective on what's possible through each one of our our lives. And I'm I know I'm I'm making a huge claim here, but I'm after after spending the time that I have over the last several days looking at this passage, looking at this prayer, I'm absolutely convinced that I'm hundred percent on target, that I'm not exaggerating at all. If you pray this prayer, if you prayed for yourself, if you prayed for others, uh, it's, it's, it has the potential to be life-changing. So if you got your Bible, turn with me to the first chapter of Ephesians. And, and the, the prayer we're going to find is in the second half of, of that first, first chapter. And in fact, it's, it's one of two prayers that Paul prayed for the, for the Christians in Ephesus. The, the second prayer is found in the third chapter. We're going to look at that in that one in August. And the same thing is true for both prayers. If, if you pray this prayer for yourself, if you prayed for others, it, it, it will have a life-changing impact 
on your life. So I want to begin by just reading the prayer itself. We're going to, we're going to actually look at the whole second half of this first chapter, but the prayer begins in verse 17. And this is, this is what he, what Paul prayed. He said, I, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. And then the last one was, and to know his incomparably great power for us who believe. That's the prayer. Okay? And there's three big things that Paul included in this prayer. First of all, he prayed for them that they might know God better. He prayed that they might know the hope of heaven. And he prayed that they would be able to know their power, the power that they themselves have. Okay? And again, I just want to say, all three, we pray that, have the potential, if we allow them to really do it, to be life-changing. Now, there's, there's one thing I want to say before we start digging into this passage, beginning with verse 15. One of the things that, that I think is very, very striking, and, and this, this kind of occurred to me as I, as, I, as, I, as I studied this prayer, as I read the prayer in the third chapter of Ephesians, but also, I don't know if you realize it or not, but in the first chapter of Philippians, there's also a prayer that Paul prayed. And in the first chapter of Colossians, there's a prayer that he prayed. And what strikes me about all of those prayers is that nowhere does Paul pray anything about the circumstances of these people. Nothing about their circumstances. And what makes this so remarkable is that their circumstances were pretty awful. These people were going through a lot of pressure. They were, they were being oppressed and persecuted because of their faith in Jesus Christ. Many of them had lost their homes. Their families were being pulled apart. They had seen many of their fellow believers thrown into prison. And some of them, some of them, they had even seen some of them lose their lives. Some of them had died because of, of their faith. And yet, I, I, I don't read anywhere. In any of Paul's prayers that he prayed that God would give them a better emperor, that God would get rid of Nero. I don't read anywhere that he prayed that, that God would protect them. And it's not that he shouldn't have prayed something like that. It's not like we shouldn't pray that kind of thing for ourselves. But what strikes me is that he didn't. It's nothing about circumstances. And I thought about this, and what I, I think there's a reason for, for this, and, it, and it's this. No matter what our circumstances are, they could be awful. If you and I have what Paul prays for in this prayer that we're going to look at today, if we have that, then what we're going to do is we're going to process those circumstances in such a way that we'll come through them stronger and better. We'll come through them with greater depth to our spiritual life, with greater character. But on the other hand, we could have... We could have everything going exactly the way anybody might want it to go. We could have the best circumstances in our life. And if we do not have what Paul prays for in this passage of Scripture, then then we're going to process those circumstances in such a way that we're we're just going to be, we'll come out of it weaker and and shallow in our spiritual life. Do do you know what I mean? Do you kind of know what I'm talking about there? All right, let's, let's begin. Verse 15. 
verse 15 and 16. He writes, For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I've not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. What what Paul's really doing here is he's leading into his prayer. He's kind of introducing it. He's, he's telling them what it is that motivates him to pray. And as he does this, it's as if he's pointing in two different directions. We might say that the first thing he's doing is, and, and, and I thought of this because of the words, for this reason, for this reason, he starts out. And so you might say, well, Paul's pointing back to what he'd already written in the first, you know, the first uh, 14 verses where he talked about the wealth that's ours in Jesus Christ, how you and I are as rich we, as spiritually as we could possibly be. And what we talked about the, 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 in the first two sermons, it might be that Paul's pointing back to that, and he's saying, I'm praying for you people because I, I really want you to get this. I really want you to understand how spiritually wealthy you are. Or it could be that he's pointing forward to what he it's actually saying in the rest of verse 15, right? So look at verse 15 again. He said, for this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for the saints. What's, what's the two things that Paul heard about these people? He heard about their faith and their love, right? Their faith and their love. This is, we need to really stop and think about this for a minute because these are the two key identifying marks of someone who is a follower of Jesus Christ, someone who is a Christian. First of all, that they have faith in Jesus Christ as their Savior. You know, one of the things that we hear a lot these days is it doesn't matter what you believe. It's how you live that matters. That's the only thing that matters. That's the prevailing philosophy of the world in which we live. But you know what? The truth is, it, it does matter what you believe because what you believe ultimately determines how you live. It always does. It's impossible to make a separation between what we believe and what we do. And that's why Paul in verse 16 tells these people that he's writing this letter to that he's, he's in almost a constant mode of gratitude because he knows they, that they, they've trusted in Jesus Christ as their Savior. They're, they're resting their eternity in what Christ did for them on the cross. But he's also thanking God because of the difference that this is making in their lives. And I just, I just love this. When he talks about their love, I really like it how they get to pick who it is they're going to love. Did you notice that? I mean, look look at what he said, verse 15. He said, you know, I'm thanking God because your love for who you decide you want to love. Do you all see that in your Bible? I hope you don't. Okay, because that's not what he's saying, Right? That's not what he's saying at all. The, the real kicker in what Paul wrote that, that really raises the bar to where it should be is that he's, he's saying, I'm thanking God because of your love for all the saints. All of them. And so let's think about this. This is, this is then saints who, saints who don't quite fit our description of what a saint should be, right? 
I'm saying you still got a lot of rough edges in their life. They've still got a lot of baggage that they carried with them into their walk with Jesus Christ. They're not perfect yet. And then, and then also saints that are, that are really quite different from the way we are, whether, you know, it's socially or economically or culturally or vocationally or education or these days, I'd have to say, saints who aren't the same political party that we are. That we're willing to love all the saints and show respect and listen humbly and, and being willing to serve. Where we're willing to build friendships with people that, that we might never, you know, in our, in all our days ever thought of being willing to build a, a friendship with. But we're doing it because we want to love all the saints. Okay, let's, let's unpack the prayer, okay? I think it's amazing. I think you're going to see it. It's definitely one to pray. All right? So there are three big things that Paul prayed. And the first one was to that they would know God better. Verse 17. This is it. He said, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I don't know if you remember... Um, it's kind of a dangerous question for a preacher to ask. Do you remember this? But when, I, when Jeff and I did the short series that we did a few weeks ago on prayer, and I, I did a sermon on the Lord's Prayer, and I, I talked about, I used the pendulum as an illustration of understanding the first phrase of the Lord's Prayer, our Father in heaven, the fatherliness of God and the heavenliness of God. How oh, we got to know both. And I, I had this imaginary pendulum up here, and I, and it's, I took it, and I just kept pulling it back this direction as I talked about the fatherliness of God, the, 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 the truth that to know God, for us to know God, we, one of the things we got to know is that God defines what it means to be a loving father. And so you think about God loving you, and you start pulling that pendulum, and you begin with thinking something just as simple as that God gives us the privilege of life itself. He gives us every breath we take, the air that we can breathe. He, he provides our food and clothing and shelter. And we, we just, I just keep pulling that back. And we think about how, how patient God is with us and how forgiving he is. And we, we, you know, we just think of all those different things, how God doesn't give up on us. And he's faithful with us, even when we're unfaithful. And, and you just keep pulling that back. And the furthest back you can pull that pendulum is to think of God loving us so much he sent his son this earth to be our savior, the fatherliness of God. And then you go to the other side and you, you, you start you pulling the pendulum this way when you're thinking about the heavenliness of God, the glory of God, the majesty of God, and you think about the fact that God is everywhere present. You think of the truth that God is all-knowing. You think of the fact that God is perfect in his wisdom and you, the God's infinite and you just keep pulling that back and you're pulling it back. And, and the furthest back you can pull it is when you start thinking about that God is absolutely perfect in his righteousness and his justice. See, for us to know God is is for us to bring those two sides of that pendulum together, the fatherliness of God and the, and the heavenliness of God, to just bring them together and understand both sides of God and then, and then allow that to draw us into an intimate, personal, loving relationship with God. That's what Paul was praying. 
That's what he was praying when he prayed for these believers, to know God better. The uh, second thing that he prayed for them was to know the hope of heaven. To know the hope of heaven. So in verse 18, he begins with this statement. He said, I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. And what, what he's praying there for is, is, is it, that the enlightened part. That's like having the light bulb come on. It's, it's asking God to give us a, many of those aha moments. Those, those aha moments with purpose that where we, we're, we're able to, to see that much better what we've got in store for us. And, in heaven, it's aha moments with purpose. And so again, look at verse 18. He said, I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. I mean, is, is that hope like, I, boy, I hope I'm going to go to heaven when I die. I hope I'm forgiven. Is it that kind of hope? No. It's... It's done deal hope. It's, it's hope with absolute certainty. It's, you know, it's, it's, in fact, the, the way I would put it, it's, it's, it is, it's done deal hope that is sealed by the Holy Spirit. Remember last week? Verse 13 and 14 that this statement that Paul made about the Holy Spirit and he said this and I got the part underlined. He said, having believed that you were marked uh, in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is, who is a, I just love that phrase, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of God's glory. I said it last week, I'll say it again. Boy, talk about security. God's saying that the Holy Spirit is his down payment on our eternal inheritance. In other words, like I said last week, eternity for us is signed and sealed and delivered. It doesn't get any more secure than this. And so when Paul prays for these believers to know the hope of heaven, he's praying for them to know with absolute certainty, absolute confidence, that when they die, the last breath they take on this earth is going to be the first breath they'll take in heaven. I, I think that's a good thing to pray for, right? Which he goes on to describe at the end of verse 18. Notice that at the end of verse 18, as the, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. I gotta tell you, everybody, I gotta tell you, this is one of the most astounding statements in the Bible. One of the most astounding ones. It, you know why? Because it, it puts this incredible emphasis on, on one aspect of what it's gonna mean for you and I when we step into heaven and we spend eternity in heaven. Notice, notice what Paul didn't say here. He didn't say the riches of your glorious inheritance in the saints. What did he say? He said the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. God's glorious inheritance. Hey, imagine, imagine for a minute that you're buying a Christmas present, a gift for Bill Gates. For Christmas. Bill Gates. You all know who Bill Gates is, right? Got a little bit of money. 
All right? And, and you want to buy a gift for him that on Christmas Eve, when everybody should open up their gifts, all right, he opens up that gift and he goes, oh, wow. Man, I've wanted to get one of those all year long. This is exactly what I wanted. An iPad. Ah, good, good, good. Got that last little line there. Got it from the tech booth after first service. All right, so I can't take the credit. You know, I mean, isn't it true? When somebody is as wealthy as Bill Gates, you and you got, if you're going to buy them a gift, you go, "What in the world am I going to get for Bill Gates?" You know, we got God. We got God, the eternal God, the Creator of this universe. And you know what we find out in this passage, in that phrase that I just read? We find out that God's treasure, God's eternal inheritance, what brings God glory forever, is you and me. It's us. We're the way that God is going to show all of creation his glory. He's going to do it forever. Do you know why this is possible? It's possible because of what John said will be true for us in heaven. John, he, 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 he gave us this description in 1 John chapter 3 verse 2. I've always loved this verse. He said, dear friends, now we're children of God and what we will be has not yet been made known, but we know that when he appears, when Christ appears, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. In other words, absolute perfection. 100% holy, righteous through and through. It does not get any better than this. And it's all because of God's amazing work of grace through Jesus Christ, which is what we're going to talk about next Sunday. I can't wait till next Sunday. There's a passage from one of C.S. Lewis' works that I think is transforming in the way it's written, describing what you and I are going to be in eternity. And and so writing about our future, eternal future, this is what he he wrote. He he said, if we led, led him, if we let God, he can make the feeblest and filthiest of us, the dazzling, radiant, immortal creatures, pulsating all through with such energy and joy and wisdom and love that we cannot now imagine. It can make each of us a bright, stainless mirror which reflects back to God perfectly, though, of course, on a smaller scale, his own boundless power and delight and goodness. And I love the the way he ended it. He said, that's what we're in for, nothing less. God's angels, friends, are going to look at us in eternity and they're going to break out in praise to God. And I am absolutely convinced that they're not just going to do it once. They're going to do it over and over and over again. I mean, just imagine this. Imagine yourself someday. You're alone with a bunch of angels. Okay, it's you and a bunch of angels. And they're all standing there and they're looking at you. And one of them says, man, I would never in a million years have dreamed this was possible. I mean, I saw you down there. I knew what you were like. 
And this angel goes, God is so amazing. And all the other angels go, you know what, you're right, let's worship God again. And they break out in worship. You join them. Definitely for all of eternity, you and I are going to be bringing glory to God. And so the question I think this, this begs for all of us that we can help asking is, well then, how can this, how should this affect my life right now? And boy, bless him, John gives us the answer in the next verse, in verse 3. It's like he anticipated it. He said, everyone who has his hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. David Martin Lloyd-Jones, who preached a series of sermons on this passage, looked at this one phrase, and, and this is what he said, and I, I just, he, he said this, to the degree you understand this phrase, when he appears, we shall be like him, you will receive strength not to sin. It's absolutely right. We see what we're going to be, and it makes us want to be that way now. I mean, Why wait for eternity to begin being what we can be today? After all, who's living in us? Yeah, God. God's living in us, the Holy Spirit. You know, I I think it's so easy to see why Paul prayed this. We need a lot of those aha moments about eternity so that you and I will keep on purifying ourselves to be like Jesus Christ. After all, there's no reason for us to wait for heaven to bring glory to God. uh, Let's amaze the angels now. Right? Okay, third request. Verse 19. I'm just making you wait. Yeah. Look at this. To know their power. You're going to love this. Look at what he writes. And to know his incomparably great power for us who believe. Most commentators point out that Paul's being grammatically excessive in what he says in that phrase, his incomparably great power. Here's why they say this. Incomparable is the Greek word hyperbolon. The word great is the Greek word megathos. The Greek word for power is dunamis, from which we get the word dynamite. In other words, this is what Paul is saying. He's saying, I want you to know, I want you to experience God's hyper-mega-dynamite. Literally. I'd say he's a bit excited about this. And rightfully so, because he goes right on to tell us how incomparably great this power is. And so look at what he writes. It Again, second half of verse 19, he said, That power, that power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Paul's saying, 
He said, how great, how great, how great is this power? It is power that is so great that it raised Jesus Christ from death to life. It is power that is so great that it exalted him to the very highest place in heaven, seated at the right hand of his Father. It is power that is so great that everything in all of this universe is subjected to him, is put under his authority. Paul saying, that power. That's the power that you've got living in you. Yeah. And so here's the deal, everybody. The God who raised Jesus Christ from the dead, the God who exalted him, the God who has brought everything underneath him, this God is living in each one of us, that future power that is going to wipe you clean from everything that is wrong with you, that power, that person is living in you now. Wow. You know what that means? That means that there is absolutely no reason for you and me to live with small ambition about what God can do in and through our lives. It means that you and I should never settle for anything less than what God, by his power, can do in us and through us. I mean, it's like the sky's the limit on what God can do. You see why it's so good to pray this? Do you see why it's so good to pray every single day, even, even more than once a day? God, help me to know, help me to understand the power that I've got inside of myself. And so I say to you this morning, pray this prayer. Pray it for yourselves. Pray it, pray it for your children. Pray it for your parents. Pray it for all of us. Pray it for me. Pray it for every person as a part of this church. And pray it with passion. And know this, you can't possibly pray it too much, too often. So let's stand together and, and we're gonna, I'm going to lead us in, in this prayer, okay? And I'm gonna, you can close your eyes, and, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray. Paul's, Paul's going to pray for all of us this morning. I'm just going to pray his prayer and then, and then we'll finish our time in a great song of worship, all right? So, so, Here's the prayer. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know Him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which He has called you, the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints. And I pray that you will know his incomparably great power for us who believe. In Christ's name and to the praise of our Father, amen.